The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. I hope you brought an apple for the teacher because it's time for the Star Seminar. Here are your hosts, Rabble Rouser and Danny Fenton. Welcome back, well-rested and reinvigorated Cowboys fans to yet another edition of the Star Seminar, your team-taught graduate seminar in advanced Cowboys footballogy. My dear co-conspirator, how are you? Are you well-rested after a bye? I am well rested, but I'll tell you what, I'm a little cold. Um, it's that time of the year here in, in Oregon to where, well, this for me anyway, where it just starts to, it just goes from, you know, summer's gone now, we're into fall and now it's like, it's, it's telling me now it's time to, to be cold. And so we do all the, we have all our regular thing. We will, we take the AC out of the windows and we just start kind of keeping the house warmer and um you know i i switched from wearing shorts you know to now i'm wearing pants and so it's just it's that time of the year where you just basically make it you just make that cut off and you it's it's to and you just accept that it's uh the cold weather's here now and brace mm-hmm. yourself for uh you know for this type of transition and so I'm, is there any type of like big change that happens throughout the year and that it's a part of your life that you go through? Well, we do the same thing. So we actually have to rotate our closet this time of year. And then again in the spring and my wife actually sometimes does it even, she has even a little more mini rotations when spring goes into summer. Mm-hmm. But, um, so, so I actually, my, my closet is not super complicated to rotate. I am a, you know, a guy and, um, I don't have, you know, I'm not exactly a clothes horse, but, um, I do have one shelf in my armoire that is my sort of rotation shelf. And pretty much everything else stays constant. Um, I do rotate like the some socks because I have some woolly socks for the winter and I have some thinner ones that I can wear in the summer. But yeah. that, that's a very that's a very simple thing. The thing that's really complicated is I have one shelf that 
in, in the in the spring and summer is all shorts it, just to sort of like align with what you were just saying and then those shorts come out and all my sweatpants go in there so i have a couple pairs of sweats that i'll wear around but like then it's all nothing but but like sweatpants for for the winter so i, I got my soft pants that i that i, I can wear uh, during the day when i'm on my zooms and things like that so i i'm wearing sweatpants pretty much all from October through May, and then you know we switch around, switch around. So that that that's definitely it. But the only other one for me really is the transition that happens because my work is uh, aligns with the school year. So like there's a sort of double transition that happens for me every year. Right in September, October, we start to gear up for the school year. Football season starts, and suddenly like I'm I'm busy in in very different ways, and especially for those two months. But um, the 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 main one's the same. The one you just you just talked about where. Got to rotate that closet, man, and go from the the, the long pants to the short and back. So, 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 are you a guy who just, uh, you know, has a, a hard cut off? It's like, you know, once you make that transition from shorts to pants, you stay at pants. I mean, are you... oh yeah, yeah. The other way, the other way around. When I go from pants to shorts, I have a couple of, I have a couple of, you know, I, mean, I still have all my, all my, like my jeans and my khakis and all those kind of things that, that I wear year round, but. Um, but once I put all the shorts away, it's pants all the time. Yeah. It's long pants the rest of the year. <laughs> no, I do live in the Northeast, so you know it's not like it's. There's not like I'm. I'm not going to wear shorts to go out and, you know, get the mail or or, or you know, take the trash out because it's it's cold out. It gets legitimately cold. Yeah. No. Speaking of legitimately cold, my friend, um, I my veins have been running cold lately because. Um, uh, you know, I live here in Philadelphia. I, as you know, I despise the Eagles, but I actually am a big fan and have been since I was a kid in the 70s of the Phillies and the Sixers. And oh. I've, even had, I've even had season ticket packages to both those teams in recent years. And so um, we're going to talk about, uh, for in today's show, we're going to talk about uh, where the Cowboys are after the bye, and we're going to take a little look at their upcoming opponent, the uh, Sean McVay-led Los Angeles Rams. But before we do that, I do want to talk about what has been keeping me cold lately, which is the shocking, to me, turnaround of the uh, Phillies and Diamondbacks series. So my buddy and I, who used to get the season tickets together, went to uh, Game 2. That was the one where the Phillies won 10-0. And we, we were sitting there in the section with everybody thinking, um, this Diamondbacks team does not belong on the same field. The, the Phillies are so much better, so much more talented. They're not just because it was ten nothing. It just felt like they were just a, a significantly better team on, on, on in almost every category, if not every category. And so we thought there's no way the series is even coming back um, to Philadelphia, much less that, that that they would lose the series. And you know, and again and again throughout the series, as the, as the Diamondbacks continued to sort of eke out victories, we'd look at them and go. This is, I'm, just, I'm having a trouble. I'm having trouble identifying where this team is good, and so it got me thinking. As they beat, as they beat the Phillies, uh, you know, baseball. I mean, the difference between the best and the worst teams in baseball is not really that much from a statistical perspective. But it got me thinking a lot more about like if this Diamondbacks team goes on a run and wins the World Series and beats the Rangers, where will that rank? in you know in the sort of pantheon of like mediocre teams that managed to sort of fumble their way to to the top so like what in your sports viewing lifetime i'd love to hear from you what are some of the teams that, where you think that was that was a really improbable playoff run and we're not let's just put it on the table now we know that that there's a division rival of ours 
or maybe even a couple of them, that have had kind of miraculous playoff runs in the last 10 or 15 years. I don't know that we need to talk about those again. Right. No. Well, and I would... no. So let's talk, let's talk about, you know, let's open this up to all the, all the four sports. And, and in your lifetime as a, as a football viewer, or rather as a sports viewer, what are some of the most improbable playoff runs you can think of? Well, you know, we were talking about this briefly earlier, and uh, there's not a, a lot of them that really jump out at me. But, you know, the couple that I do remember, I think um, I know like when um, Tom Brady and the Patriots won their first Super Bowl. I remember thinking, how did that happen? They just didn't seem like a very strong team. Of course, I, that was kind of the, when I realized that maybe I just don't know how good a team really is i think i learned at that point that they have a lot of good pieces and you know belichick and the defense very under you don't hear much about those guys back then but it just when you look at them and i think what did they did they beat the rams i think that was it the greatest show the rams they yeah. beat the raiders in the in the tuck rule game and then they went and then they beat the the uh i think the steelers in the afc championship game yeah like it was just a weird improbable. Steelers, I think, were fifteen and one. It was a weird improbable game, and then, and then the the defending champion Rams, who were awesome, they they managed to to beat them. Yeah, I think very, very really good example. I think that stands out to me just because of like the the what I thought of the opponents, um, mm-hmm. which is which is why my choice is actually going to be. Um, it was the early two thousands, the Detroit Piston team. Um, filled with a lot of good players, no, mm-hmm. no, mm-hmm. like superstars, but like your Rip Hamiltons and your Chauncey yep. Billups and your, I think uh, Ben Wallace and I think maybe Rasheed Wallace might have been on that team too. I'm trying to just, you know, I kind of so they beat my Lakers and um, that was the the Laker team that had the the Gary Payton and Carl Malone as they tried to kind of spice up. Uh, what you know around already good talented players with Shaq and Kobe, but um, so I mean I expected to go in there and the Lakers be able to beat, but that was also what's his coach's name of the one of the better coaches in the league. I think do you, do you remember offhand the Pistons coach, uh, Larry Brown? Larry Brown is that it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. He, he was really good. He's really good, and it just it, 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 it's similar to the new the Patriots one. It just kind of like tells you the value of when you are a good team and you are a deep team. And that's what they were. They just were a better team, better coached, better, just more disciplined. And they, 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 they were deeper. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, to me, I think those teams stand out just, and it's not that they weren't like good teams. I just didn't think I realized it at the time, how good they were. Yeah. I think that that's actually one of the interesting, interesting things about it so that you cited the, the the 2001 patriots and at the time it just seemed like this miracle run by a by a ragtag but team and i actually thought i remember watching that super bowl and thinking this is amazing this is so great and i did i hadn't learned to despise tom brady and the patriots yet and and so like in, in that example then suddenly they win again two years later and then they win the year after that and then you're like oh okay that was just the sort of in some ways that was a team that arrived a little early but they were sort of on the way to being a good team. Mm-hmm. You could say something similar about like the 81 49ers. Like that, that team, you know, beat the Cowboys and then beat the Bengals in the Super Bowl. Totally improbable. But then they became, you know, they became the team of, of the 80s. But not because of that. They actually weren't the real 49ers for a couple of years. They just kind of, you know, right. happened to be there. They arrived a little before their time. 
I, so I think th those all make sense. You know, you look back, you know, in retrospect, and they and they make sense as sort of like early, early, maybe too early emergence of a dynasty level kind of team. But then there are other ones like the 97 Florida Marlins, where it's just like completely out of the blue. Right. Yeah. You know? Um, the, one, the other, the other one that really strikes, strikes me a lot, even though in some ways this was the early arrival of a team because they did win again a couple of years later, but the 87 twins and the 87 twins were barely above 500. Um, they were the 85 and 77, but they're, but they've been, you know, outscored by a lot of runs over the course of the season they had a negative run differential. They beat a very good Tigers team and then beat a very good, um, uh, uh, St. Louis Cardinals team in the in the World Series is such an interesting sort of contrast of styles. That sort of, sort of fast, you know, fast Cardinals team that stole a lot of bases, and then you know the, 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 the Twins hit a lot of home runs in there in the friendly confines of their little stadium. Anyway, um, so who knows what's going to happen with this Diamondbacks team? And it could be that you know, ten years from now, we look back and go, oh, okay. Okay, you know what? This was a young team that was on the come. Mm -hmm. They they end up winning a couple more, you know, win some division championships. You know, maybe maybe get to another World Series or two. But it also could be one of those things where they're like they're like the uh, the '97 Marlins, where they go to a championship and then never do anything again. So we'll we'll see what we'll see what happens. A couple of the other ones though that I do think are worth mentioning: the '95 Rockets. They were 47 and 35. They were the tenth seed, I think. They were the lowest seeded team ever to win an NBA title. They beat four 50 game winners in the process, and they, I mean, yeah, they had Elijah one, but they weren't very good. And the other one, which which I actually loved at the time, for reasons that should be obvious, was the 1980 Oakland Raiders with Jim Plunkett. They were, I mean, they were just terrible, but they managed to just keep, sort of keep winning. They were a savvy veteran team, and then of course they destroyed the oh, uh, heated that, goals in, in the Super Bowl. That was the best part. Really felt good. I mean, Rod Martin got three three interceptions off Jaworski. It's fantastic. Jaworski. Just fantastic. <laughs> but anyway, listen, uh, we, we'll have a plenty of time next week to um, to share our Eagle hate because the Cowboys are playing the Eagles, obviously, uh, next week. But this week's opponent, let's not look too far ahead, this week's opponent is the L.A. Rams. The, are they the greatest, um, so, greatest show on turf, Rams? Uh, they are not. They are not. Although they are the, you know, they they remain the Sean McVay is a genius, and we all want the Cowboys to be like the Rams. Rams. Um, so let's 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 start uh, in our examination of the Rams with uh, Rabble's roundup. We'll take a look at the at the Rams spine, and then we'll hand things over to you, and we can we can talk about Phantoms five, the sort of five keys to the game. All right. How's that sound? Sounds great. It's time for Rabble's Roundup. Um, typically what happens is, as I suggested just a moment ago, I, I like to look at a, a team's spine, which is the GM. Sometimes I'll include the owner in that. Uh, if, if I feel like the owner is, is involved in, in actual like important decision-making, in this case, that's not the case. But the GM, uh, off, uh, head coach, offensive coordinator, and then the quarterback. Um, I'm, I, I tend to start the GM and work my way down. I'm going to switch things up a little bit for reasons that I hope will make, make sense as I do that. So I want to start by just, you know, looking at a guy who's been the, their GM since it's probably over 10, over 10 years now, a guy named Les Snead, who actually was um, the Rams GM when they, when they engineered the, um, the more, the Mo Claiborne trade in the 2012 draft. So he's been at the helm there for a long time. And he, he built a super, a super bowl winning roster, for a couple different Super Bowls, but Super Bowl attending roster and Super Bowl winning roster um, for the 2021 20, season. Through a couple of different 
I think, um, streams, the first of which was that he, he amassed a lot of homegrown talent. So 12 of the Rams, 22 starters in the Super Bowl and 21 were drafted by the team. They actually had a lot of high draft picks all the way through the teens that they amassed and, and, and had a lot of sort of core talent, but that, that core talent had never really put them over the top. You remember guys like Todd Gurley and, of course, Jared Goff, people like that. They, so they had a lot of, like, top 10 talent. But they needed to find a way to supplement that. And so, of course, what they did that we talked about and a lot of Cowboys fans wanted the Cowboys to do something similar. They swapped an inordinate number of high draft picks for key starters. Um, they, to bring in Matthew Stafford and other key players before the 21 season, Les Snead offloaded 12 of Los Angeles' draft picks ahead of that year. Jeez. Um, and, the, and, you know, we talked about that's a risky proposition because, as we saw, like, that was actually not a particularly probable Super Bowl run. They 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 eked out a couple of victories. I, I you can make a strong argument that in both the NFC Championship game and the Super Bowl they probably deserved to lose. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a, one of the luckier playoff runs in recent history. But they do have a Lombardi to show for it. So I think you know that's what they were going for. But predictably they've experienced the after effects of their all in mentality. So after the twenty. 22 campaign that was derailed by injuries. The Rams had a huge salary cap problem and had to release Ed Leonard Floyd. They had to get rid of Bobby Wagner. They had to trade Jalen Ramsey and Allen Robinson, the wide receiver who was a really key contributor. And so um, they're, as I'm going to talk about at the end of this, pretty thin on the talent side. Um, I think we can agree that the greatest move that Snead made in his tenure as the GM was to uh, higher head coach Sean McVay, the mm. Wunderkind himself. So we'll get to McVay in a second. But first, I want to look at the Rams' figurehead offensive coordinator. We all know that, that for the most part, McVay is their offensive coordinator and head coach. But that they do have a, a guy, Mike LaFleur. And I think it's really interesting because LaFleur and McVay come from a coaching tree or a, a sort of coaching family, if you will, um, that we talked about a lot in, in advance of the 49ers game. So um, Rams have lost a lot of coaching talent over the years, right? There's this sort of Sean McVay effect, which has both made the ideal head coach in the NFL younger, but also made him a, a sort of offensive uh, genius. And so people are always raiding the Rams cupboard. They've gone through Kevin O'Connell, Thomas Brown, Zach Taylor, Matt LaFleur, Shane Waldron. And now it's my, Matt's brother Mike's turn to coordinate the Rams offense. He comes from a very familiar coaching tree, right? He started his NFL coaching career in 2014 as an offensive intern uh, for the Browns under offensive coordinator Kyle Shanahan. Mm-hmm. He followed Shanny the Younger to Atlanta for the 15 and 16 seasons, where, of course, they worked with the great defensive mind, Dan Quinn. Uh, um, but he was working with, with Shanahan then um, as a sort of offensive coordinator, not offensive coordinator, but, you know, again, sort of offensive assistant. And then when Shanahan became the 49ers head coach, LaFleur accepted a position as the Niners passing game coordinator, wide receivers coach. Those designations uh, changed, you know, in his time with, with with the 49ers. But he was there again, you know, in that in that coaching tree, that coaching association. He followed Robert uh, um, Sala from the 49ers to the Jets and was the, 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 the uh, offensive coordinator in New York. Not quite as much success there. In 2021, the Jets with rookie quarterback Zach Wilson. Contributed to that lack of success, probably under center. They went four and thirteen. 
it looked like things were going to really look up in, in 2022. They started the season great at 7-4, and four, but then lost their final six games. And in the last three games of that losing streak, the team failed to score a single touchdown. So he was out uh, out in New York. But, you know, McVay uh, shares a lot of the same philosophy with all, all the guys who are in his division rival in San Francisco. And so um, McVay brought him in. But I think it's pretty clear McVay still going to be calling plays. Right. So what is that going to look like? What does the McVay offense look like now? Does it look any different? Does it look the same? I think it actually looks a little different. And I, I think that differences can be traced back to when they brought Matthew Stafford in in 2021. So let me just ask you as a way, as a sort of way into this, what, when we think Sean McVay, we think that, you know, Sean McVay offense, what leaps to mind for you? Uh, you know, honestly, the good McVay that I remember it just I feel like there it there's a lot of versatility in what he brings because you know it's with him it's not just about what he can do in the receiving game and of course they did have some really good receivers um you know Cal, they had former you know or they have they had Brandon Cooks and they had Robert Woods and they had Cooper Cup and and you see you think of them you think uh you got high high powered offense stuff but they also had a very strong running game as well so and he I, I think he uses tight ends very well. He's very good at using all the players that he has. Um, I, I feel like in some ways it's, it's kind of like a lesser talented 49er team is, is what I see. It just, I think there's a lot of creativity. Um, he does, I think McFay does a, a really good job with what he has to work with. And for me, when I look at the Rams now, I'm just, I just, as you mentioned, it, they just don't have the same talent on the roster, but the coach, I mean, the coach is there. The coach is doing good things to help his team, to help his team win. Yeah, absolutely. And and even when they were more talented, he uh, he did a lot. And, he, and I, you know, he, we talked a lot about the positionless offense when we talked about the 49ers, right? And, mm-hmm. and both both uh, Kyle Shanahan and McVay both just sort of, you know, they were they were in uh, various Shanahan coaching trees branches of the of the Shanahan coaching tree. So I think there's a lot of those elements that, that the older Shanahan brought to the the way the NFL plays offense that, that both these guys have adopted and, and worked out and perfected it in their own in their own way. So in the early years of, of the Sean McVay offense with, with Jared Goff at the helm, one of the things that they did a lot, you remember this again, they did this a lot against the Cowboys in the, um, the playoff game where they really just ran all over the Cowboys in 2018. They use a lot of motion to create advantages for their outside outside zone running game, right? The, the, they ran a lot of play action because that running game was so powerful. Then some of the play action, the rollout game, all that kind of stuff was really effective. Ran a lot of screens, et cetera. So a lot of shorter passes, a lot of easy button plays for, for Jared Goff. Strong running game for Goff because, um, you know, he, he wasn't the kind of quarterback who um, you wanted to put everything on his back. One of the things that one of the phrases that he's used a lot over the years is the illusion of complexity. So what he wants to do in this is a lot like what Shannon wants to do, right? He wants to run a variety of concepts out of very simple, simple, often identical pre-snap looks so that they can practice the same thing, but that the, the defense doesn't always know what's going to come. So you're going to surprise the defense, make it easy for you and hard for them, right? This is exactly what we talked about when we talked about Shanahan and the 49ers a couple of three weeks ago. However, things changed a little bit when they traded for, for Matthew Stafford in 2021. So they shifted philosophy in a couple of ways. One, they moved to more of a drop-back passing attack to take advantage of Stan, uh, Stafford's golden arm. Hmm. Um, so this season, 
However, the Rams are back among NFL teams deploying the highest frequency of motion concepts. So it's not they've done away with motion. I think they're just they're just they're just doing a little bit more five and seven step drops to try to try to uh, hit hit uh, you know plays downfield more often. They've used motion on 65% of plays through the four weeks. So they use motion in a variety of ways. I want to talk about that uh, in, in just a few minutes. Um, because these motions look a little different now. So rather than using motion to create favorable angles in the run game, which they still do, but they're also using it more to create significant advantages for the passing game. So one of the ways in which he's doing that is he uses short motion. We saw that, that the Dolphins do this, the Packers do this, the 49ers do this. What do all these teams have in common, Danny? Dolphins, Packers, 49ers, Rams. They're all from the same offensive coaching tree, right? They're all, they're all, they're all, they are all branches of, of the Shanahan coaching tree we're talking about, right? So his clearly a belief of the, of the teams that come from, from this tree, right? And so um, one of the things that they're doing is using short motion, which are you are really built to get the receiver running full speed before the snap. So it's, it's a sort of thing that you see a lot in college when guys are, you know, run around so that, so that at the snap, um, the receivers you know, already got that jogging start, right? So teams oftentimes use their speedy guys for this type of motion. The Rams do that with Tutu Atwell. They also are doing a little bit more with, with uh, Puka Nakua as well. Um, interestingly enough, like when we talk about the old Shanahan, excuse me, the old McVay offense, um, we always talk about the outside zone. We talk about the kind of offensive linemen who are really good foot athletes who can, who can, you know, uh, get on, on the other side on the other side of guys to, to set up the outside zone you can get to the, get to the perimeter etc they've really transitioned though into a more of a predominantly gaps uh, running game which is a pretty significant departure so I think that's the one thing that's going to be a lot different about these Rams than you know um, the Rams that we were used to in 17 18 they run a lot of duo now support for this show comes from Sylvan learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. So what, what, what is Duo? So Duo is basically where you have, like, uh, you have two double teams, basically. And most often times what happens is the Cowboys run a lot of Duo in their power running game where they'll, like, where, like, uh, Terrence Steele... And Zach Martin will double team a guy, and then and then one of those guys will peel off and get someone at the second level. So you a duo, you basically have two two pairs of guys doing that, and then they're getting to the second level to block block uh, you know defensive linemen. Um, 
and it's a, it's a really physical. It's a way. It's a way to you know get guys off the off the line to, to push them back. And then once you once you got them moving backward, then then one of you one of your guys peels off to to go get someone at the second level as they've come up. So they currently lead the league in 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 gap scheme run usage and rank at the bottom of the league in zone run percentage. So they're actually not running much much outside zone at all anymore. I think that probably has a lot to do with the kind of offensive linemen they're getting and maybe the kind of offensive linemen that are easier to find. Um, but this also, in part, I think, a reaction to the light box and odd front schemes that have taken over the NFL, and they've taken over the NFL in large part to combat the offenses that we're talking about, the, the Shanahan and, and McVay coaching tree offenses. So one of the other things they do, though, to go and get back to the running game, is that they use a sort of speed motion to quickly get blockers on the side of the run game before the defense can react. So this is where you said earlier that, that you think of guys like Robert Woods and Cooper Cup. Right. And I think one of the reasons why um, and, and the Rams in the old days and still use a lot of 11 personnel, but they're able to run out of 11 personnel because they all block like Noah Brown. So guys like Cooper Cup and Robert Woods are effectively wide receivers who can block like tight ends. And so that you can put them in motion and suddenly you have a you have a guy who um, is in a leverage position against the deep to do a crackback against the defensive end or something. So you can you can get you can get outside. You can do pin and pull. You can run you can run outside zone things like that in the old days. And now you're you're still getting matchup advantages when you when you motion those guys out and they can help seal off the edge in the run game. And the, and this new sensation that I think you'll probably talk about a little bit also, Puka Nakoa is is really good at that as well. So there's a lot of ways in which they've been innovating and trying to adapt. But I, I have to say, last year, the Rams offense was really, really poor. They actually fired their de facto offensive coordinator, who had been um, a Rams assistant for many years, went to Kentucky for a year as the offensive coordinator, uh, coordinator and quarterbacks coach, came back, and then they basically um, you know, sort of fi fired him or, or made it clear that if he was to seek another job, He'd be welcome to take it, and now he's back in Kentucky again. So um, they were they were really bad last year. The Rams fell to five and twelve, and they haven't been great this year. And so if we think about you know Matthew Stafford, for example, I mean you know through seven games, the first pick in the 2009 draft has been statistically aligned with the league's mediocrities. So he's thrown a touchdown on only 2.7 percent of his attempts, which is tied with Cody Pickett for 25th in the league. He's thrown an interception on 2.3% of his, of his dropbacks, a little worse than Pickett and Bryce Young for 15th in the league. He's competing, he's only completing, he's completing less than 60% of his throws, just under at 59.8%, which is below Pickett and Zach Wilson for 30th. And his passer rating of 82.3 ranks 22nd, one point ahead of Pickett. So basically, he's Cody Pickett. It's not all Stafford's fault, although they selected Steve Avila, who we love so much in the, or Steve Avila, uh, who we love so much uh, in the draft. Uh, the 2023 draft second round. They re-signed versatile interior offensive lineman Coleman Shelton, who's provided a lot of really important depth. Their offensive line has been beat up and was recently ranked as the NFL's 24th best squad by, by PFF. Um, and in particular, I think one of the areas where, where the Cowboys defensive line has an advantage is in left tackle Alaric Jackson, who's really, really struggled. The other guys have been, you know, sort of above average, but only slightly above average. Um, so, you know, if, my, if they're going to put Micah Parsons out wide on the on you know, the defense's right side, he's going to have a significant advantage in the guy who he's lining up against. Um, and I think this this actually speaks to what we started with here, right? Which is what 
La Snead's roster building philosophy has wrought. So in May, Pro Football Focus ranked each roster across the league and the Rams, even though they have Matt Safford, Cooper Cup, Aaron Donald, you know, a couple of those guys are getting a little long in the tooth. They came in at 31st, only above, only above Arizona. This is back in May. Obviously, things have changed a little bit, but the truth of the matter is that Rams' offensive line is not good. It may be the worst unit the Cowboys have faced so far. You remember what, how, how the kind of hay they made when Cooper rushes the quarterback when they played the Rams last year. They absolutely dominated the, the the Rams and won the game in a sense because of that particular mismatch. The Rams secondary, now that they don't have um, uh, Jalen Ramsey anymore, mm-hmm. the Rams secondary is highly exploitable. They really struggle to run the ball. Stafford is aging. He still has a great arm. He's capable of making throws that probably nobody else in the league other than Holmes can make, but he's prone to turnovers. Um, and I think one last thing I want to talk about is just like, you know, this is what happens when you go all in. Mm-hmm. The Rams uh, loaded up on draft picks for, for, for last year's draft. They drafted 14 rookies. Every single one of them made the squad, and four of them are currently starting. So there's there are there are ramifications <laughs> ramifications <laughs> to to that particular offensive or rather roster building philosophy and the Rams and their fans are experiencing that right now. So this is this is not a deep team. This is a shallow team because they you know they they had to make some really tough cap decisions. We knew this was going to happen and they didn't necessarily have um you know, those guys who should now be in years three through five who would have been first-round draft picks in the last couple, three years, they, they don't have right now because those guys are now off the roster because they've had to cut them after trading for them. So um, this is the team that is nowhere near as deep as the Cowboys. doesn't mean they can't beat the Cowboys, but they're nowhere near as deep as the Cowboys. And I think there are a couple places where the Cowboys are good, particularly in the, in the Cowboys' defensive line versus the Rams' offensive line, where the Cowboys have it a fairly significant advantage yeah yeah i i agree in fact i think that is a a perfect way to transition into the five things that i will be looking at this week so uh i I can't wait it's time for the phantom five do it slowly do it again it's time for the phantom five phantom five is upon us so what is Item the first, my friend. So you were talking about Cowboys defense, Rams offensive line, and you're you're speaking about you know um, Matthew Stafford. And to me, I think I, I think Stafford is a pretty good quarterback, but I think he's a little Jekyll and Hyde at this point in his career. I mean, I think he's got about pretty close to the same amount of you know, touchdowns as he does interceptions. Uh, he can make some yep. plays, but you know, as you mentioned, he is a little mistake prone. In fact, he has thrown 48 bad balls this season. That is worst in the NFL. So, and and he's even worse when he's under pressure. I mean, but I mean, who isn't? However, Stafford himself is near the bottom of the league in most metrics when under pressure. We're talking about completion percentage and passer rating. So, basically, you know, if you can rattle this guy, you're going to be in good shape. So, and guess what? The Cowboys, Cowboys defense. You know what they're good at? They're good at creating pressure. They are best in the league and pressuring the quarterback. So the Cowboys absolutely must rattle his cage. They must earn those pass rushing reps, uh, which brings me to actually item number two. 
so so we go from stifling Stafford to ramming it down our throats, and this is this is about the Rams running game, and, and I'll, I'll tell you what, Rabs, um, this Rams running game, it, it, they're kind of weird, and, and I'll say that because because of this. There's a lot of different stuff that's going on with them. They started off with like Cam Akers was their guy. He had the most carries mm-hmm. in week one, but then they traded him away to, to Minnesota, and they went with their second year running back, uh, Kyron Williams, who, who has been doing really good, uh, but he just uh, suffered an ankle injury, and so he's now on IR, so no Kyron Williams. And so last week against the Steelers, the Rams actually had to promote uh, a couple guys from the practice squad, which are uh, Daryl Henderson Jr., which is a running back they had previously, and then Royce Freeman. Um, so but the thing is, it really doesn't matter um, who's running the ball for them. When they run the ball well, they win. They are 3-1 and one when they rush for 90 yards, and they are 0-3 when they don't get to 90. The Rams as a team, they are top 10 in rushing efficiency, and they have rushed for over 130 yards in three of their last four games. So when I envision, like if I, if you could envision the Cowboys uh, losing this this game, it, it likely includes the the Rams ground attack that just keeps pounding away at the defense. And of course, that's not a you don't have to really think too hard to to envision what that's like because you know as you mentioned before, 2018. We got a good dose of that double-headed running back group. They just ran wild, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with uh, Todd Gurley and C.J. Anderson. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I would be lying if I said I wasn't a little bit concerned about the Cowboys' ability to stop the run because, as you mentioned before, McVay, you know, he gets his guys running starts, and, and these receivers that, you know, show up to catch balls, they also can block. It don't matter who you are, you're blocking for this Rams team. So, it will be all hands on deck and Tyler Higby and everybody, this guy, that guy, don't they all block. So um, I'm a little concerned about the Rams uh, rushing attack. Um, but one of those receivers who can block a guy that you mentioned earlier, uh, first off Rabs, do you play Pokemon? No, 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 no. I don't know anything about it yeah, at all. Ne- neither do I, but I'll tell you what, sometimes I'll be driving down the road We'll be going somewhere. My wife will be like, say, oh, stop, turn here. And I like, well, like thinking, you know, she wants me to go somewhere for some, you know, like part of direction stuff. And she's like on her phone and she's got some little pokey stop or whatever. I don't even, I don't know what the hell, I don't know what the hell it is. (laughs) It's, uh, it's this Pokemon thing. I'm not a part of this craze. Uh, But I'll tell you what, whenever I hear the name, uh, Puka Nakuo, I, I keep thinking of some Pokemon character. And, mm-hmm. and and this guy's special power is that he catches everything. Uh, he leads the NFL in targets. He leads the NFL in catches. And if you've seen, been able to see him at all on tape, uh, he's just, he's very dangerous in space. Uh, definitely a player that the Cowboys will be concerned about. It's people are like saying, well, you know, it's like a Cooper Cup clone. And, and so they have two of them. And I will say this, though. Um, I don't know what's going on with Mr. Cup, but he just doesn't look like the re- his regular self. Uh, but this uh, Puka Nakua guy, uh, he's a legit weapon right now. Um, this mm-hmm. the fifth round fifth round pick. You know, you, you mentioned like Rams do not have a lot of draft capital, but hey, when, when they're pulling out this Kyron Williams from I think on day three pick, and then Puka Nakua day three. I mean, they got guys that can make plays. So mm-hmm. so um, so yeah. Uh, number three, got to catch them all. Puka Nakua, focus on this guy. Um, 
But moving on to number four. Number four. And I just I'm gonna go on the other side of the ball and talk you know, talking about a pass catcher. Uh this one is entitled Cooking Up Some Revenge because we absolutely need to see a game from Brandon Cooks because that guy has completely just disappeared. I mean, I know he caught a touchdown the last time they played, but if you look at his production, I mean, everything is just career worst. If you look at just his yards per game, just abysmal. Passer rating, catch percentage. The guy, it wasn't used to be a yards after contact guy. Not, not now, not now. And his yards after contact are career worst. So is his yards before contact. Basically, the Cowboys are running short stuff to him, and he's just getting tackled right away and going nowhere. So, to me, I feel like we got to see a game from him. And, I mean, we know what the the Rams' defense, they're pretty good. I mean, their secondary is not bad. I mean, they have some they have some weak spots, but they're, they're, they're pretty good. But I really think this is a game where, you know, Cooks needs to just invoke some revenge on his former team and have – have a breakout game. I mean, here we are. It's it's about time, don't you think, for this guy to finally come through with a big game? It is beyond time. All right. So the last one is I've actually called this one Save Your Timeouts. And the reason I called it this is for, for two reasons. First off, I don't know if you recall what happened last week with the Rams and Steelers. Um, but basically, McVeigh uh, had used all of his timeouts, and then they got hosed over with a bad spot, and they they weren't able to challenge it, and then ended up giving the Steelers a first down, and they ran out the clock. It was it's horrible. It's a, it's just a terrible way to to lose a game. But it does, um, you know, emphasize the importance of you know not wasting timeouts. And the last time we saw the Cowboys in a game, they that's exactly what they were doing. I mean, they. I think I counted three timeouts that were wasted to, you know, stop some type of penalty because they weren't prepared or something. I mean, mm, two of too many men on the field, something like that. Yeah, yeah, and two of which happened in the second half. And I mean, you don't really want to be losing your second half timeouts. So to me, I really think coaching is going to come up big, and the, you know, you're going to want to make, you know, keep you know avoid making those mistakes. And I mean, this is one of those games where, you know. If if you're not careful, you could just you know find yourself in trouble. So, but I'm just something. I I I know all the heat is on Mike McCarthy, and we really want to see um, something go on with this offense to just make us feel a little better. And I'm hoping that this Rams game, which it, the Rams are a decent team, you know, uh, I, I'm hoping that this could be one of those games where that happens. But so I want to put you on the spot, and I want you to tell me. How do you think this is going to go down? And, and give me a final score prediction for this one. This is an interesting one because, you know, I think we're all hoping, and I actually want to ask you about this for just a second. We're all kind of hoping that they're going to make some adjustments after the bye. They've had a chance to really kind of like do a little self-scouting and, and try to figure something out on offense. The Cowboys have been really, really good at home. Yeah. Right. And I think that I think they may be a different team at home. I think they feel, they feel it feels like they're a little bit more aggressive in terms of the pass rush at home, et cetera. Um, I think I think this could be 
another one of those games. I know I, I know I said a couple weeks ago that I'm not picking them again until I see more explosives in the passing game. I think this might be one of those games where they don't need them, just like the just like the Jets and Patriots games. Yeah. Um, so I'm actually gonna I'm actually gonna pick the Cowboys. Let's just say thirty to thirteen. I think it might be one of those games where the the, the defensive the Cowboys defensive line turns Stafford over. It, it gets out of control early, and the Cowboys don't need Brandon Cooks to to have an explosive game. If he does, it's awesome. But they don't need him to for them to win handily. No, that's a, that's a good prediction. I uh, I'm I'm with you actually. I feel like when I look at this game, um, I mean I can see it being you know this being close this being one of those games where the offense just like there we go again you know and mm-hmm. and then we you know mentioned like you know the rams they get their players in space with and the running game gets going and the rams can can do a, do a little damage here and there and but i i just feel like that's not going to happen i feel like the the cowboys will have their act together i i don't know to what degree the how much the offense is going to look Better, but I will say I do expect the defense to tee off, and I do expect it's this could be one of those games where the Cowboys get some help in the scoring department from their defense or from their special yep. teams. Yep. So I I have this game the Cowboys winning convincingly twenty seven to twelve. I have picked twelve for a couple of reasons. I think they I don't even know if they have a kicker right now because they just released Brett Maher because um, he was shanking things on Sunday. They, they picked somebody up off the Browns practice squad. I oh, think. so they signed so they have. I know they yeah, were working out yeah. Crosby, I believe. But uh, so I think they'll, you'll see a, a missed extra point, and I also think McVeigh will try to go for two or something to try to even it up and and fail. So I, that's why I have a obscure score. But I, I'm agree with you. I think Cowboys they handle this one. I probably will come out of this game thinking I would have still liked to seen a little more offense. Um, you know because. I got basically of the 27 points, you know, seven of them coming from the the defense. And so, I mean, it's still not the explosion that I am, you know, so hoping for with this team. But uh, I do think that they'll take this down pretty easily. And let's be clear, if, 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 if one or more of those 27 points comes from a defensive score, that means the Cowboys are still somewhere around 500 in the red zone, theoretically. No, correct. And so that's, that's not promising. Yeah. And so... I think it may be one of those things where yet for yet another week, um, our questions about the offense are put on hold. Yeah. Or, or, we, or the or the fact that we believe it's a kind of a more of an offense for the duration of the year is confirmed yet again. Well, let's hope it's not that because I mean, I, I hope some things start to fall in place and things start to move a little better because, I mean, if if this if this offense is going to look similar to this, then I mean, I do think there is a true limitation of this team. So. Hoping that we see something. It doesn't have to be this week, but I'm just hoping that there are just more tricks in the bag and we're going to see something. And maybe it just takes time to get things going and figure some things out. Who knows? All right. So be- before before we sign off, I would like for for to hear from you. What's the one thing you hope that they're able to change during the bye week that we that for us to see going forward? Uh, I really. I want to see some better performance by the Cowboys offensive line, uh, whether it's just more effective run blocking or just better protection. I think collectively there are some things that they just need to do a little better. Um, I know some of it's health related, so we've had some time to get a little healthy and that this group seems like they are healthy. Uh, but I like to see Terrence still not let, um, you know, they got like a Michael Hoyt, which is on, on the Rams 
that guy looked pretty good. I don't want this guy blowing around the edge and, and having free shots at Dak. And I don't want Tyron to be pushed back into somebody. I mean, I want Tyron to be strong. I want Tyron to be the to be the Tyron we know. So just a little more effectiveness from the offensive. Like give those running backs a, a fighting chance. Give them a, a lane to run in. And, um, you know, so I think a lot of those things will um, – will help tremendously of course but i cannot leave this show without saying i want them to throw the ball down the field uh, i mean ride or die with the dak i don't care if it ends up in a pick i mean i know mccarthy he thinks differently but you know and and as long as the result if they win the game then that's the right decision in his eyes but no dak needs to throw the ball down the field they got to get that going otherwise their offense is just too limited they're too one-dimensional and i just I, enough of this short stuff um so that's what about you rabs is there anything you gotta say no, I, I, I mean listen you took the words right out of my mouth i would say there's there's two things i want to see but and i think that the second is dependent on the first i think that, they'll, that you're going to see them try to push the ball down the field if they feel that if they have any confidence in the offensive line's ability to protect but you know the truth of the matter is if you can't protect your quarterback you have to really be careful and, and judicious in taking your shots because otherwise you're exposing your quarterback right. and it's only week eight man you can't you can't maybe week 13 when you're when you're playing you know the eagles at home or something to for the for the division you know for the division crown or for you know the, a good shot at it then it makes more sense to expose your quarterback but right now it's all right um and so you, what you do is you try to pile up wins any way you can, even if it means your offense stinks. And I, and I get it. I get it. But I, I, I'm with you, too, that we need to see something, right? They, they've got to find some way to generate explosives. I, but, I, but I'm also like, if, if they can just run the ball well, I'm okay. Yeah. Like I just want to. I need. I need to see something because right now they're zero dimensional. They can't run. Or yeah. Pass. I don't know. For those of you who are who are, are smart enough to follow Bob Sturm after he left the Athletic, he's got his own like little blog spot now. He had a really good piece the other day where he took a took a long look at the Cowboys' offensive line, and the news is not good. There's two two former All Pros who are probably Hall of Famers who are showing their age. You have a, a center who is a barely above replacement level player and always has been. You've got um, the best player on the on their offensive line is left guard. Tyler Smith, but uh, he's he's had some you know some weird uncharacteristic uh, kind of mental lapses and, and penalties. Mm -hmm. And Terrence Steele is not back from his injury. He, he he came back quickly to his credit, but he is not the player he was. So they're down on four of the five positions probably, or or at least that level with Biotish, and um, that ain't gonna cut it. I mean, I I think this offensive line is still being thought of as the offensive line that they have between you know, 2014 and 18, maybe. And it ain't, this is, we're back to 2012, 2011, when they, before they, before they, uh, you know, before they got Travis Frederick and started to, started to come together. They, this is not a good offensive line. Right now. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm hoping things get better and just, it's going to have to, or, or they're going to be a, like a 10 win, you know, first round of playoff exit type of team. Yeah. No, I agree. Anyway, that is all we have for today. If you haven't yet, please do subscribe to the Blogging the Boys Podcast Network. Leave us a rating, write a review wherever you get your podcast. Apple, Spotify, iTunes, or Stitcher. Tell us what you think. Anything you would like us to do differently to improve your podcast, 
listening experience. And if you ever want to talk to us about anything at all, any Cowboys hot topics, matchups you're looking for, or what is your most unlikely Cinderella story, you know, let us know. Hit us up on Twitter. I'm at DannyPhantom24. And don't forget to check out all the great podcasts throughout the entire week. Every day we got something new for you. Tomorrow we'll have the World's Team with Meg Murray and Paul Stewart. So make sure to check that out. But that's all we have for today. Thanks for hanging out with us. Hope you have a great weekend. Stay safe, stay happy, stay true to the silver and blue. And we will catch you later. A class dismissed.